You are listening live to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, Auburn's home for student-run radio since 1971. As many of our listeners know, this is Weagle's one and only weekly drive-time morning show bringing you weather, sports, the menus at the edge, weird news stories, Alabama state history, and more every Monday through Thursday. Broadcasting live from the Bradley-based and WEGL studio on the first floor of the Harold Mountain Student Center, I'm your Tuesday host, Alex Houston, and it is another weird weather day outside. It's very cloudy, it's humid, it's 68 degrees. I once again don't know what to tell everybody listening to wear because I showed up in shirts and shirt and shorts yesterday and was freezing the entire day. And now I am so excited for the first time ever to have Weagle's very own advisor, Britt Bowen, on the show for the first time and probably last time. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Last time? I, I don't know. I mean, but bef- between now and when I graduate? Well, I, I was going to start off the show with a compliment with how impressed I was with that introduction. Oh, thank I mean, you very much. I, I mean, you nailed down the name of the studio, which is named after our man Bradley Basin, Eagle on Weagle host. Indeed. And you even got the Harold D. Melton Student Center in there. I mean, that that was impressive. Well, I, you know, I, I took some influence from Jack's previous uh, introductions, had to put my yeah. own twist on it, yeah. because when Davis first took over, he actually basically just took all of Jack's intro, and they were like, oh, you plagiarized. I like, no, I got it inspired by it, but I tried to... Add some changes, but thank you, Britt. That, that's you're too kind. That's not plagiarism in this business, baby. It's copy, 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 and nothing's original. Interesting. In well, ra- in radio and TV, it, it's it, it's rare it, that that something is. And when it is original, I will say this: when it is original, it, it, it tends to it tends to top the charts, right? That's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, there we've already got our first bit of radio advice from Britt, who does all kinds of things, whether it's calling. Women's basketball, well, Auburn soccer, and all that stuff for the Auburn Sports Network and for even the SEC Network. Well, sometimes. I'll put it to you this way. I tell you guys all the time, right? As your advisor, listen to other shows. Listen to other hosts. Listen and watch what other people are doing. And, and, and notice what they do well, right? Because that's how you learn. That's how I learn play-by-play is listening to a lot of different announcers over the years and trying to pick up on little things. And like you just said, put your own twist on it and, and add your personality to it. Because you got to be your own self, right? Don't try to be someone else, but at the same time, it's okay to, to take the, the good things that, that people are doing within the industry and making it your own. Very sage wisdom, Britt. That's actually kind of what we've done with uh, the movie podcast that Davis and I both do. Because we both listened to a podcast before we even started it, and sure. they had a lot of segments that were really fun that we were just like, ah, oh, well, you know, we'll do our own thing about, about that, which it, it goes well sometimes, but then... Even one of our segments is like, oh, well, what have we been reading or watching this week? And then it's like, we don't have any time to do anything. So the answer is just nothing. And then that segment goes well, by the wayside very quickly. Sometimes it's fun. Like we watched The Last of Us. Britt, have you seen The Last of Us? I, listen, I have not had time since I, – I have not had time since the summer really to sit down and – well, I'll take that back. I did finish Narcos Mexico. Ooh. I did finish Narcos Mexico in the fall. That was the last series that I've had time to watch start to finish. So – that, that's the only downside of, of, of the spring crossover season with Auburn Athletics, with basketball and softball. You don't have any time to sit down and watch TV. So, that's fair. So June, June will be my time to get caught up. And, again, I still, <coughs> excuse me, I still owe you guys a James Bond uh, podcast episode appearance. That's so. true. That's true. We're going to have to find a, find a way to fit that in the cards of our schedule before, of course, we have to graduate. I've tried to convince Davis to do the show after we graduate, and his responses have been – Less enthusiastic than I'd hoped. 
Well, uh, Davis is a busy man, all right? I mean, he, he, he is interested in law school, right? That's true. He's, I mean, he's got high hopes and dreams. Oh, no, no, I know that, Britt, but do you know what he has told me when I've asked him about doing the show afterwards? Is it is it is it appropriate? Yes, for of course, okay, of course. Okay, Davis and I do okay, not have any banter okay, that is not appropriate for the airwaves. Okay, okay. He has he has looked at me and said, "Alex, I could be dead in two weeks. I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, thank you, Davis." Which well, of course he emphasizes that he's not going to be dead. It's just that he doesn't he doesn't know what could happen. Like, I will okay. say I will say for for both of you, I I can see either one of you coming up with that response because you two <laughs> are just so extremely sarcastic. Yes, indeed. Every time that I see one of you, whether it be on air or just in the office, I never know what I'm going to get with either one of you. And now you've become part. Now you're part of these almost sarcastic trio well, of Weagle because you've taken part in it more than but, anybody. But no, not but, more than anybody, but nearly. I was about to say you, you and you lead the posse. Of I course, think. Of course. But as the advisor, as I told you the other day, I've got to be careful because. I've known you and Davis now for what four years. Yep, that's about right. Four years, so I I know you guys pretty well, and I, I feel like you you do with me. Some of the newer kids in here may not know us as well, and they may take they may take what we say a little too serious. So that, that is a good and very fair concern. Got, got, got to be careful with that. Got to well, be I'll careful. Try, I'll that. try and make your job a bit easier in the future, and not be so sarcastic every time I see you. Maybe right. that'll that'll make you less inclined to respond. Folks, if you want to come to our staff meeting tonight at yes. five o'clock central in the Melton Student Center, um, I will be grading Alex on a sarcasm oh, test. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. That's too early. I gotta, I gotta prepare for maybe he'll, i'll try giving it up for lent i don't well, know something it, like that l- listen he'll he'll forget I, I i can guarantee he'll forget about it between now and five today okay that's not entirely true i remember I, most of what i talk about on this show it's well, the, the movie podcast that i forget things but i remember what we talk about here plus i'll never forget this entire interaction as you're a guest on the show i've been harping on this for many many months too. and i i can already tell you're gonna put this in the staff group me and it's just gonna blow up today oh, yeah I mean, like, like I, I can already see it. That's I, I'm the goal. Gonna, right. I'm going to get texts, emails, phone calls from everyone on staff. I will admit, I did How, pick this bit up from Jared because I remember one of my first extra point shows. You were in the station manager's office. I don't remember why, and Jared was like trying to flag you yeah. down to come in the show, and you said no. And then I kind of was like, okay, well, I guess I got to continue it <laughs> after, after Jared has <laughs> moved on. Jared, that guy, he's a superstar, by the way, That's at Auburn true. High School now. Yes, except obviously, uh, as we see by his memorial photo in the Weagle bullpen. He may also be dead, depending on who you ask. I think he is the first living person to have a memorial anywhere <laughs> in the United States. But uh, yes, anyways. definitely. As as the oldest grad student in the history of Auburn University, that's definitely correct. That's it's a it's a joke. How old is he? Thirty five now. I, I honestly have no, no idea. Yeah, he's been here a while, longer than me. No, yeah. Okay, not, no, you almost, you almost had me there. <laughs> I know all the days before I showed up at Weagle, it's all confusion and stuff, and people were playing stuff on iPods. I don't know how Wild West it really got. It, so I it wasn't was, sure. it, it was, it was a long, yeah. It's been a long road that Weagle, Weagle has traveled. But hey, we are here. Look at all the cool stuff you exactly, got. Now, exactly, exactly. Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be using this board as a main. Um, talking point for our career readiness AU involvement submission because we're working on those as we speak. Well, and and shout out to the the Basin family. Uh, oh, Bra- yeah, absolutely. Bra- Bradley Basin and his parents um, made a a very generous donation to Weagle. What two years ago now? Yes, I want to say and it was. It was two two springs ago, and it's hard to believe it's been that long. And in, in in with that donation, they 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 paid for the naming rights of the WEGL studio. And for Bradley, again, he is our one of our, our, our radio DJs. He actually has a show today, today at 2 oh, o'clock. Oh, that's right. Today at 2 o'clock, Eagle on Weagle. And for Bradley, 
again, part of the Eagles program at Auburn, and his parents were just so thankful for, for what Weagle has done for him and the opportunity provided, as we provide to every student. And uh, we were just so thankful for their generosity because, Alex, you just mentioned that this board, this control board that, that we're operating the show off of today, it's a state-of-the-art board in the industry. It, it really set Weagle forward um, many, many years. And it's got us, I, I think, at, at, at the top of the industry right, right now, at least in terms of what's available from an equipment standpoint. So that's something we're very proud of. And, and for, for Bradley, um, and again, we're just so thankful for him and, and thankful that he chose to join us um, all those years ago. Absolutely. I honestly don't even remember what the original board looked like. Like, oh, I, I can't. I've, I've seen the pictures that are in the old handbook that I was like, as a reference. Sure. But this is just so much more intuitive, just all the yeah. way around, down to the, of course, digital markers for your audio levels, which is so much easier to just tell yeah. people to look at that. Because I don't remember how it used to be set up. We, well, we had needles. We had needles. That's back right. Back yeah. That's right. Which is yeah. not not terrible, but digital does give you an easier marker it, of how loud or quiet you're being at it's any given a, time. It's a new era. And, and that's what's fun to see, all the different alums that, that, that come through here on different tours and just when they're in town, don't forget the Weagle Alumni Affiliate, right. who, who we work so often with. Um, it's just so interesting to come in and see people talk about how much has changed, where the industry's going, and what Weagle was like back in their day, because it's hard to believe. I mean, we, we've been around, what, since 71 and celebrating, is this our 52nd anniversary yes, this be. year? Yes, 52nd anniversary coming up in April, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely, and it's a lot of excitement around Weagle. Obviously, so many shows to fill our 24-hour extravaganza. Going to be a lot of excitement there. Now, Brett, I also want to ask you, this is something that we've talked about as well, and it kind of relates to seeing how Weagle's grown. You've been a broadcaster for women's basketball as it has taken yeah. a significant step forward even this year. Obviously, for outside viewers, if you look at the, at the record, 14-12, and 12, and I believe 4-10 and 10 in the SEC is not going to you know pop on a resume, but... A very, very big difference well, from say two years ago. Well, where this team, how far this team has come. I mean, they they won what two years ago? Won five games two yes, years I ago. Say, total, I say so. And went zero and fourteen, zero and fifteen in the SEC. As Vanderbilt didn't have, um, did not have a team that year. Right. They, they they canceled their season. Um, yeah, I mean they, they've come leaps and leaps and bounds. And for last year, they they won ten games and doubled the win total from the year before. And they won two SEC games, stunning two top top twenty five teams. One of those in the top five in Tennessee, and then this year have come back. And I mean, I tell you, just just mostly every game in the SEC, maybe excluding the two South Carolina, the first Alabama game in LSU. So minus those four games, every game has been a battle. I mean, Auburn Auburn could easily right now have four more wins on on in their win column right now in SEC play if they if if they were to finish. So. Um, that team has been a lot of fun to watch grow, and it's only going to get better under Coach Johnny Harris. She's in her second season. Um, Tigers have a big week this week. We go on the road to Athens, Georgia on Thursday. It'll be a 6 o'clock tip, and then we're back home on Sunday. Alex, I know you're, you're a big member of the Auburn Jungle. We need you guys out there on Sunday. It'll be at uh, 3 o'clock. I think senior day starts at 2.30. I'm going to be honoring Honesty Scott Grayson and Saniah Wells. And these are two games for Auburn. One win, Alex can um, one win this week can can help Auburn secure a bye in the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament next week, which is huge. 
So um, for the Tigers, a lot to play for this week, and um, just just excited for them, excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. And again, as Britt said, a very exciting senior day coming up this Sunday. A lot of SEC tournament implications on the line there. I'll be getting to sit in on the broadcast, which will be a lot of fun. And last thing before we go to the break, I do think it is crazy, and I've talked about it many times before on this show, how – Neville Arena has somehow become the mecca of Auburn athletics yeah. in a span of two years because whether you got Coach Jay rebuilding a program that was left for dead and right. you got Brent Crouch also rebuilding a program that was as left for dead as any during COVID. They didn't even play a spring season. Then obviously basketball is basketball and gymnastics has exploded in a way that nobody, I don't think, really predicted yeah. it could. It's kind of insane that it's – and that, of course, might be attributed to the fact that football has taken a back seat due to poor play these last two years, but that's a, that's a question well, for another time, I'm but, sure. But, that, but even then with football, football's still drawing really big crowds, right? People still show up in support, and that's what's so special about Auburn is people love Auburn athletics. People love Auburn, and Auburn fans, if you – and here's the thing for these every coach that steps on campus at Auburn University – if you engage the fan base and give them a reason to come watch your team, yes, you have to win some, but I mean more than that. If you try to make a connection with the fan base, with your team, you're going to have a lot of success at Auburn. You're going to get the fan support. That's why people, you talk about women's basketball right now and Coach Jay, yeah, the resume doesn't pop out maybe compared to some of the top-tier teams in the SEC right now, but Auburn's on their way, and the fan base believes right now because of that connection, and guess what? They have won, and they've won significantly more than we than they were two years ago to give the fan base that interest. So it's a lot of fun, still a lot of work left to do, and and fingers crossed. I, I'd love to get not one but two this week against Georgia and, and Vanderbilt. Absolutely. To echo that sentiment, as Cadillac Williams said when he was the interim head coach, if, if you love Auburn, Auburn will love you back. That applies to pretty much every program, like you said, Britt. And even with men's basketball on the road this week, you've still got gymnastics yeah. on Friday night, which is going to be basically the last home meet for the students since the final one is during spring break, which is an unfortunate scheduling thing. Then, of course, Vanderbilt on Sunday. A lot going on in the world of Auburn athletics. Britt, again, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'll remember this episode forever. Hey, anytime <laughs> you want me back, let me know. I'll be glad to do you it. You say hey, that. Hey, Alex, truthfully, you, you do a great job. The incredible segment. You're a heck of a host. Seriously. I appreciate that, Britt. Glad Thank to have you. Much. You're a heck of a guest. And that will be the, fir- the first break for Weagle's Compact Discourse. We'll be back right after this to discuss who knows, menus at the edge, and more all on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. In case you're listening outside the Auburn Opelika Megaplex, if you are, thanks for going on to our website designed by the one and only Cameron Kasperzak, our website director, who's got that entire site looking better than ever. We were just joined by Britt Bowen, Weagle's advisor, the advisor for the Glomerata, and a general advisor to student media. He does a lot of incredible work balancing so many things with the Auburn Sports Network, with the SEC Network, and also keeping student media in mind and keeping them first on his agenda a lot of the times, no matter what other opportunities and situations may arise. And we always appreciate all the help he gives us. And he's given us a lot of great guidance these last few months as Weagle has gotten more popular than ever, which sounds like I'm not being modest, but it truly is because of the fact that 
We have more shows than I've ever seen. We have more shows than Britt has ever seen. That's individual shows on the schedule, and it's challenged us a lot, and he has been there to help this staff navigate these uncharted waters, as it were. Now, we talked a lot about Auburn sports with Britt. Obviously, his covering of women's basketball, a lot of excitement coming up for them in these next two games and, again, with how that could affect the SEC tournament. Then for Auburn basketball, Auburn men's basketball, that is, they've fallen yet again. Auburn basketball went down against Vanderbilt in Nashville. Katie Johnson did take game-tying three, but a layup for Vanderbilt secured the W for the Commodores and hurt the the Tigers' resume for the NCAA tournament once again. Assuming Auburn can get to 20 wins, they might be a lock for the NCAA tournament, but the road there is difficult to say the least. Originally, the way it was pretty much working out was that Auburn gets a matchup with Vanderbilt and Ole Miss, two lesser quality teams in the SEC, and then Auburn gets to 20 wins. Instead, they'll have to get one win against Ole Miss and then one win from Kentucky, Alabama, or Tennessee in order to take that step forward. It's going to be a difficult road ahead, but Auburn's faced a lot of difficult roads in the past, and there's still some optimism around the program. But the truth is this team has kind of fallen not apart, obviously, but it is clear that certain ideas, certain plans, at least from Bruce Pearl and his staff, are just not working. And I think that was something that he didn't anticipate and that a lot of people outside the program did not anticipate. And what I mean by that is Bruce Pearl has spoken highly of Jalen Williams for years. Really. And especially even last year, he talked about how great he was despite being behind Jabari Smith. And even this year with the additions of people like Johan Treor, and uh, a highly touted recruit, and Janai Broom, a highly touted um, transfer, there was a lot of talk about, well, what role does, does Jalen Williams have? And Bruce Pearl talked about increasing that role even further. And I think, yeah, that's a great idea. But the problem is it doesn't go into practice very well. And I want to talk about this right now. So Bruce Pearl talks about Jalen Williams as if he has a takeover ability to be the best player on the floor. And I think he fundamentally believes that he should be using that takeover ability to be the best player on the floor. But the fact is Jalen Williams just does not get the shot attempts that I think this team needs him to take. On Saturday in the loss to Vanderbilt, he was a highly efficient 8 of 12 with 17 points, but only 12 attempts again. Only 12. That was third on the team behind Janai Broom, who had 15, and Wendell Green, who had 14. I don't know if it's scheming that's the issue. I don't know if they need to find more creative ways to get Jalen Williams the ball. But right now, it's not working. And I think there's definitely an issue there with the fact that he... Well, this team doesn't have a direction on the offensive end. Not really. Wendell Green, when he's brilliant, he's brilliant. But when he's bad, he is what he was on Saturday. 2 of 14 from the field. Two turnovers. Sure, he got three steals, but he scored five points. And that that you can't have a guy go 2 of 14 in basketball in general, let alone in college. In college, the possessions are longer. The shot attempts are fewer. Every shot counts a whole lot less than it does in the NBA. A whole lot, or every shot counts a whole lot more, excuse me, than it does in the NBA. You just have less time. And 
I think having a guy go two of fourteen spells disaster for a team. Truly. And you can be inefficient from the floor if you get to the free throw line a lot. Because Vanderbilt did not score a lot, but they had a guy, Liam Robbins, go three of ten from the floor, but he went seventeen of twenty from the free throw line. Wendell Green did not get that. He got one of two from the free throw line. He did not get to the free throw line nearly as much as he has in previous games. But again, this team does not have a direction. It has the front court of a team that should run around, say, a point guard like Jason Kidd distributing in a pick and roll to his 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 front men, right? That's the idea, to the bigs. Run a pick and roll, distribute, distribute the ball, distribute, distribute. That's the main idea. And that's at least what we see on paper from this team is that clearly that's the way it should be run, is run through Jalen Williams, Janai Broom, Dylan Cardwell, Chris Moore... Obviously, Chris Moore and Dylan Cardwell not having a huge impact in Saturday, but if you run it through Jalen Williams and Janai Broom and they play as good as they did on Saturday, then you're fine. But the problem is this team has an offense built around a scoring set of guards and a scoring set of bigs. Now, what the heck do you do when all five of your players are scorers? Who's passing the ball? And that's been Auburn's biggest issue this year, and it's been their issue last year. A lot of people criticized the guard player for just not being able to make the passes that they needed. Inside, and we've seen that in years past. I remember when Austin Wiley would dominate inside in my freshman season, or in my fresh during my freshman year. His, I think it was senior season. But the point guards just could not get the ball to him, and it wasn't like uh they just wouldn't make the passes. They wouldn't. It was just go terribly, and that happened very often. And I think that Auburn desperately needs an amount of direction, one way or the other. But again, the question is. What do you do? This season might very well be not a wash, but I don't know if this team can make a run at this point. I really don't. I think they're too inconsistent to make a run. That's the thing is that teams that make a run may have big up and downs like the Final Four team did, right? Everybody talks about how that team lost nine games. It's fine. They lost nine games. Let's forget about the fact that they lost nine games or or what? let's forget about the fact that they ended up being as great as they were and remember that they lost nine games. And sure, I suppose that's fair. I suppose that's a fair criticism to make or comparison to make, right? The idea that losing nine games in the end of the world, yada, yada. But here's the thing that people forget about that team. When that team was hot, when that team was really good, they were great. That team went toe-to-toe with Duke. That team beat Arizona. That team beat Xavier. They beat number 25 Washington that year. They won nine of their first ten. Okay, let's remember that. And when they got cold, they also scored a lot and just couldn't win. Okay, and that's another big issue here. Number 12, Kentucky, a loss at home. They lost 80-82. to Lost to South Carolina the next week, the next three game, 77-80. to And they lost to number 22, Mississippi State, 84-92, to and that knocked them out of the top 25. But again, if you go through SEC play, right, Let's take it from SC play, which began on January 9th, all the way to the end to the end of the season and the beginning of the tournament. Auburn scored under 70 only five times. Five times in 18 games, which means they scored over 70. And most of those are pretty high. 84, 80, 78, 79, 78 again, 76, 84, 92, 84, 77, 80. 85, and 93. 
that showed a capacity to get hot at the right time and to score a lot of points, which is how you win in the NCAA tournament most of the time because you're going to face random teams with scouting reports that you can only do so much on because you, you know they're halfway across the country. And the best thing you can do is outscore them. And that's even what that was Auburn's model in the NCAA tournament. They outscored Kansas and North Carolina. They shot them out of the gym both times. And the problem with this team, what makes it feel different to me, is that their defense is not where it needs to be to carry this lackluster offense. The offense has not shown nearly enough consistency. When they do get hot, it almost feels more random than a step in the right direction. I've written about it for my internship with 1819 News. I've written about a step in the right direction a few times just for it to go backwards. I don't know if this offense has what it needs. And that's not so much a, oh, this team is terrible, because there are people who are just absolutely dramatic and drastic about criticism of teams and of players, and that's very unfair. You know, I think you got to remember that these are college athletes. These are college kids. They're not... NBA superstars, and they should not be held to that same standard, okay? They are college kids playing basketball, and at the end of the day, I just don't think this team is good enough to make that run. And that's not not to be even harsher on them than that. I just don't think there's enough offense there to make up for a defense that has lapses, and there's not enough great defense there to make up for an offense that cannot score in most situations. Even on Saturday night against Vanderbilt, it was a better offensive night, 43%, but still 31% from three. Just a, not a lot going right for this Auburn team. And the question becomes, where do you go from here? What's the next step, especially with a lot of seniors on this team and with Aiden Holloway coming in next year? Does Auburn go still stick with the guard-emphasized offense or does it make a change somehow in the offseason? We'll, of course, be keeping our eye on that and our eye on the entire team during its in, rest of its SEC schedule, the SEC tournament, and the NCAA tournament. You can stick right here. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle, 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. Hello, it's me, everybody, again. Don't worry, I didn't go anywhere either. I hope you didn't, too. And I thank you for joining me this morning on Compact Discourse on Weagle, 91.1 FM and wheelfm.com for this humid and cloudy Tuesday. Yes, that's right, everybody. I know it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Guys, I think the weather the weather soundbite is gone. Oh, goodness. We'll solve that during the commercial break and get back to you after. So we'll do the War Eagle weather at the very end of the day, I think. That seems like a correct time to do it, at the very end of the episode, at least. So as we were talking about, Auburn basketball, let's move on to Auburn Gymnastics. Auburn Gymnastics had its toughest meet of the season this past Sunday. They took on the Missouri Tigers of the SEC East. I believe there are any divisions in the SEC for gymnastics. And the Tigers rested a lot of people. Suni Lee did not compete in the all-around. Darion Goburn did not compete on the floor. Cassie Stevens did not compete in the all-around. And because of that, Auburn lost and scored its lowest score of the season, a 196.55, while Missouri, excuse me, scored a 197.45. Giving the Tigers the win, the Tigers of the East, that is, while Auburn looks to regroup. And this is something we talked about earlier with Jeff Graba, head coach of Auburn Gymnastics. And I, again, want to thank everybody involved for helping get him on the show, whether it's Kendra Willard, our SID, and, of course, Jeff Graba himself 
for joining the show. He talked about what he's learned about how beat up the team was last year with the new scheduling and how it works to get to the Final Four. The team was exhausted at the end, and that's something we didn't see a whole lot of, but they did just look like they were just at the end of their rope when when the chips were down at the end because of the fact that they had done a whole heck of a lot, and they had done a historic season, and they'd competed in, I think, 33 meets at that point, or at least they had 30, they had 33 total like out of the wins and loss, they had 22 wins and 11 losses. It wasn't 33 meets, but it was against 33 teams is, is more like it. And I think that this is a thing where it's a good problem to have if you're Jeff Graba, right? Because Auburn is currently at 7th in the NQS rankings. Now, what is NQS, everybody? I'll tell you right now. NQS is the national ranking system for tournament seeding for NCAA gymnastics. You get the top six scores that each team has three of which have to be away from the home arena. You lop off the top score, and you average out the remaining five to get your NQS score. And Auburn's highest score is the one they had against LSU, a 197.5 that'll be lopped off, but you've still got a 197.7 versus Alabama, a 197.175 versus NC State, a 197.5 versus Arkansas, a 197.2 versus Florida, and a 197.35 in the Vegas meet, in which Auburn beat UCLA, but fell behind to Michigan and Oklahoma that weekend. Or that, yes, that week, that Saturday, in fact, the Super 16 Challenge of 2023. So with Auburn, Jeff Gray was kind of taking a chance here, but it's a chance that I believe he has confidence in the fact that I think he wants to raise the NQS ranking. I think he knows that. And I think he knows that Auburn has three meets left. You've got Georgia, which would have been on a short week if everybody competed on Sunday. It would have been a very short week and a quick turnaround. I believe during the broadcast they mentioned having five days off before the meet against Missouri. So you've got Georgia, Kentucky, and Penn State. Now two of those are at home, and the best they can do is knock off, say, the Arkansas score or the NC State score. I believe Auburn can knock off that NC State score because Suni Lee did not compete on the floor that night and that that score is a difference maker so I think Auburn can absolutely surpass that 197-175 I think they've really hit their stride in the previous two weeks before kind of resting the stars against Missouri so you can knock off a home meet but you've got to get a higher road score and I believe Auburn was willing to bet more on scoring that against Kentucky versus against Missouri now why is that because I think Auburn did not want to compromise a chance at a good home score against Georgia for the sake of getting a good road score because then you almost fall behind. Why not take a break now on a weird Sunday schedule and then kind of reset the board, which is what Auburn has done in a sense. Had a chance to clear the board and go back to your regularly scheduled program. You've got three meets all equally apart, Georgia, Kentucky, Penn State, and then you've got the SC Championship, which will count as a away score. And that's going to be eight days after the Penn State meet, which is the alumni meet and the wear white meet on March 10th. Unfortunately, during Christmas break or Christmas break, spring break, I only say that because of the fact that the students, if they're not here, which you can't blame them for not being here during spring break, it means they won't get a chance to witness what is essentially senior day for Auburn gymnastics. And again, I think. That's a good call for head coach Jeff Graba. I think it's the right move for head coach Jeff Graba because I think it is going to pay off in the long run. Now, again, if it doesn't, then you wonder why. You know, if they if they are not able to secure a good score against Kentucky 
then it might come back to bite them. Now, again, their NQS is still good. They're the seventh-ranked team in the country in NQS, and I really think they're only going to get better because I think even if they can't surpass that LSU score, I think they can bring their bottom line up by knocking that NC State score off the average or even knocking the Arkansas State score out of the average. If they can can get two scores above a 197.5, they're in business. I really think so. Now, if they can somehow knock off that Florida score of a 197-2 on the road, being at Kentucky or at the SEC Championship, then they're in real good shape. Now, again, the rest of the teams in, in NCAA have a chance to change their NEQSs too, so it's not like Auburn is moving against a stagnant field here at all. They're certainly on their way up, but a lot of other teams are making the same choice and the same decisions that Auburn is, weighing the same factors that Auburn is, so that's something to monitor as well. But again, Auburn Gymnastics... It's an exciting, exciting place to be. To be watching this team, to be watching them grow, to watch this senior class. Obviously, they're going to lose a couple key pieces from this season. I think, well, one, Darion Goburn and Suni Lee are both confirmed out of the program after this season. Now, I do wonder where the rest goes. You've got Cassie Stevens, who's a senior. Aria Brush, who's a senior, who is just trying to work her way back on bars. In fact, we're talking to her today. For gymnastics availability, I'm going to be going on behalf of my internship with 1819 News to cover that. And we're talking to Aria, and I believe it is Sophia Growth. That's a lot of excitement there to talk to both of them. It's so much fun to talk to them just about what they do and what they're looking forward to continue to accomplish this season. Aria Brush has become an amazing contributor, by the way. I think in a, in a world where Darion and Suni steal the show, and even behind that, you've got Cassie, who has grown so much in a four-year period, right? And has become really a great all-around contributor. And then Sophia, who has been working her way back from injury and has become a lot of a, a bit of a fan favorite with her expressiveness in each of her routines. Aria Brush has been an excellent contributor on beam. She's a great, a real solid beam routine and a real solid floor routine. And I think if they can add her back on bars, that'll really really split the difference for this team. And I say that because of the fact that I think their top line on bars is very high. It's Darion, it's Suni, it's Sophia, it's Cassie. But I think they really could use a solid fifth score in there. And right now it's been a couple nine sevens from the fifth score. But I think if Ari can raise that to a nine eight two, a nine eight two five or a nine eight five, that really just will elevate the rest of the team scoring. Even the smallest amount is a big difference for this team, especially when it comes to NQS scoring, as we've seen. right? So NQS rankings are depending on that average. Can Aria Brush change it? I hope they can get her back by this Friday. But if not, I think getting her back for the Kentucky meet will be a big difference for this team. And lastly, guys, before we move off from sports for a time, let's talk about the NBA All-Star game. Let's talk about what went wrong. And you're going to say, well, what did go wrong? I'm sure it made a lot of money. It... Got a lot of points scored. Seems fun to me. And the reality is, no. The All-Star break began on Thursday and ended on Sunday with the Giannis versus LeBron teams. And the scores of this game, 184 to 175. Jason Tatum scored 55 points. He took 31 shots and was 10 of 18 from the free throw line. Mike Malone, head coach of the Nuggets, and I believe the head coach of of the LeBron team, said that this was the worst game of basketball played. I believe he said it was the worst game of basketball played ever. I want, to, I want to get the exact quote here because it is it is kind of funny how, well, he just 
clearly was not in support of that. So Mike Malone, he rips the players' efforts. Let's see. Worst basketball game ever played by Team LeBron coach Michael Malone. So there it is. It was the worst basketball game ever played is what he said. Jalen Brown called it a glorified layup line, and you can't really blame him. That's what it looked like. And there's a lot of issues and, and debate about this on Twitter and a lot of people going all kinds of ways. One of the things I've seen is that there aren't any dogs in the, in the league anymore to push these guys to be successful. It was Jordan who never took a day off in terms of how seriously he took the game. It was Kobe after Jordan. And since then, there isn't really that. And I don't want to go that approach because I think that's a little lazy and it's pretending that LeBron determines the mood of the entire league. Has LeBron changed the way the game is played in the NBA? Yes. Has he changed the way that stars treat the game? Yes, that's true. Is he the sole reason for the All-Star game falling apart? No, he's not. We've seen these games become less serious across every sport. The Pro Bowl is gone, mind you. Don't don't forget about that. The Pro Bowl is gone. And the All-Star game could very well be soon after it because it, if it becomes a glorified layup line, what do you watch? Just watch shoot around. Just watch them shoot around for an hour then if that's really like what, what's the stake there. And I think, again, you could argue that, yes, there's not that person pushing the league to be that competitive or whatever, but it's not that simple because there are guys like that. It's just not that simple. I think the fact is that this entire the entire league of players have just changed their perception of things. And it comes from taking load management days, which we've seen Anthony Edwards in the past week talk about how he doesn't necessarily agree with that idea because what if somebody pays for their first basketball game ever and you're not playing because you're tired? You know, because they don't play any more games than they used to, by the way. They play 82 games. That, the, the number of games has not gone up. In fact, it's trending to go downward. And, of course, that's because certain medical practices are letting us know exactly how to keep these players at their healthiest, sure. But, additionally, the the game itself, they just don't care, and it's difficult to make people care about that. And why would they try their hardest when they play 82 games a year? It's, a, it's an all-star game. It has no stake to it, really. I have an idea. It might be a little absurd, a little strange, but I think it's a worthy option to try and fix the NBA All-Star game in the best way. Oops, sorry, I clicked the wrong one. Oh, Lord have mercy. And we're I think that the NBA All-Star game needs to add a stake to it about determining seeding in the NBA Finals. I know, perhaps a radical choice here. We're going to be right back after this brief PSA break to discuss in more detail what the NBA can do going forward. We're going to talk about Ant-Man, we're going to talk about the weather, and so much more. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle, 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. It is so good to be with you here on Tuesday, February 21st. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. I'm Alex Houston, your Tuesday host, as I just said. And right about to wrap up the show here, what I think they should do about the NBA All-Star Game, right? It's a tough decision and it's a tough choice because why do you make such an important stake happen 
in um, the All-Star game. Because, for example, a lot of those guys in the All-Star game may very well not be competing for a – excuse me, competing for a championship. And in that sense, competing for – a championship. Why is that at stake? Where, for example, an entire team that is competing for a championship may not be in the All Star game, depending on how popular they are. But I think you understand that the schedules in the East and the West are different enough. I think, much like how they do it in the MLB, I believe the MLB All Star game determines who has home field advantage. If I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to. I'm, I want to make sure I can look it up. The agreement was extended. Remain in place. Since 2017, home field advantage has been awarded to the World Series team having the better regular season record. So it was the case for the All-Star game for about up until 2016 for the MLB. And I think the NBA should consider that just to make it more competitive and to make people care about it. And I think it's that or the NBA All-Star game might be on its way out at some point. Now, unfortunately, it looks like the Worry Eagle Weather soundbite is gone. So that's unfortunate. We're going to have to try and find one of that, get that back before my show next week but it's 67 degrees right now there's a light rain going on and that's going to continue up until about 10 a.m it'll get as high as 71 degrees out but it's going to be very cloudy and going to be windy it's still pretty humid at 88 percent so again a little mix of some weather things going on there from the cloudiness to the temperature to rain just dress accordingly as best you can i recommend bringing a raincoat if i were you and if you feel so inclined but now it's time for the Menu at the Edge. This is what we're all so excited about. At Traditions, they've got some jerk roasted pork loin with roasted sweet potatoes. Yes. Zesty red beans, fried plantains, and collard greens. Then at the Ignite Grill, they've got a chicken Caesar sandwich, which is an interesting choice. That's all I'm going to say about that. Along with some crispy waffle fries, which are pretty, pretty good. Urban Kitchen has General So's chicken or General So's tofu with some jasmine rice to be paired with either of those entrees. And then at True Balance, that is your allergen station. Chef-prepared recipes made without the nine most common allergens. Eggs, milk, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, shellfish, soy, sesame, wheat, and gluten. Baked chipotle orange chicken, jasmine rice, steamed peas, southwest quinoa and corn salad. And the one and only roasted Brussels sprouts. I'm excited about those. Then at Streetworks, you've got taco turkey meat filling, seasoned black beans, and their fresh-pressed flour tortillas. Then on pizza, classic cheese pizza, Hawaiian pizza, and pepperoni pizza, the, the standard stuff there at the edge. And then sweet treats, you've got cookies and cream thimble cake, sugar cookies, strawberry shortcake parfait, and glazed strawberry bars. Ooh, a lot of strawberry-themed stuff going on today. And then the, celi- the deli sandwich is a buffalo chicken Caesar wrap. Also, it looks like at Streetworks with their tacos, you're going to get brown rice or call more appropriately called a rose rojo. Brown rice seasoned with oregano, chili powder, garlic, and cumin. So that is your menu at the edge. In case you all were considering going there, I'm going to go get an omelet right after this show is done. And lastly, entertainment news. Ant-Man Quantumania has become a critical flop. It's one of the lowest reviewed movies on Rotten Tomatoes and only the second, or Marvel movies on Rotten Tomatoes, and only the second MCU film to receive a rotten score. And could very well become a commercial flop, just $225 million in its opening weekend. And that's worldwide, not, not just locally. And of course, people are bringing up the fact that the previous films have not made as much money as, well, others. And as in the Ant-Man series itself is not as big of a box office giant as the rest of the MCU. And that's true, but 
the previous two films didn't cost 220 or 200 million dollars. Ant-Man and the Wasp cost around 130 million dollars and then the first Ant-Man film I believe it was pretty low budget. It cost, um, wow, still $130 million and made $519 million. Ant-Man and the Wasp made over $600 million. And now, obviously, Ant-Man Quantumania is probably going to make more than that. But how much more? Difficult to say. With movies like Puss in Boots just keep on churning at the box office, that film has crossed the $420 million threshold already and is keeping going, trying to pass its predecessor, the first Puss in Boots film that had... $550 million at the global box office. To be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, I saw Ant-Man, and it was not very good. I don't know what to tell you more than that. It just was not a very good film at all. I didn't find it to be very enjoyable. I didn't find it to be very funny. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was had no stakes to it. I thought that the as the kickoff to the Kang dynasty, I say in quotes, it didn't really kick anything off other than the fact that it just reset the board at the very end. Nothing, nothing changed. People who were in the quantum mania or in the quantum realm that had not affected the regular realm up until that point died, and everybody else, spoiler alert, survived. There were no stakes to it, and I think that's really where this film has a lot of flaws to it. I just did not think it was very good. But if you want to go give it a shot, you can go right ahead. I personally wouldn't recommend. I think this film is. Another representation of how far the MCU has fallen and will continue to fall. And that might be harsh. That might be a bit too critical. But to be honest, I think it's not re- realist or it's not unrealistic to have high expectations for a franchise that spends $200 million on movies. I expect it to look good. I expect it to be good. It did not look good. And it was not good in general. But that will wrap up Compact Discourse here on Weagle 91.1 FM. This is our Tuesday show tomorrow. Davis Carroll will be back for the Wednesday show. And don't forget, like Britt and I were talking about earlier, Bradley Basin and the Eagle on Weagle will be airing live today at 2 o'clock. You go ahead and give that a listen if you feel so inclined to check out the music from a member of the Great Eagles program here at Auburn. That program does so much great work, and Bradley does a really good show. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, and I'll be back next week.